Ah, chilly New England morning. Perfect weather to watch the Wednesday. I'll just start a nice roaring fire in my fireplace, turn on the game, and take a nice long sip of my coffee. Ball played through, and here's a chance for Vidra again. He goes down. The referee's going to give a penalty here. Van Leuven's made the foul. And what will we see in terms of a card? The double jeopardy rule may well just save Van Leuven's. No, he's sent him off. It's a red card for Van Leuven's. This is fine. Did I mention I have a bad track record with the teams I choose to podcast about? Well, I do, but we soldier on anyway on the Owls Americast, Sheffield Wednesday Opinion with an American accent. I am your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and I now know many things about Harrogate Town FC, such as they play in black and yellow stripes and are nicknamed the Sulfurites. Oh, and I am drinking a 21st Amendment Hell or High Watermelon, which is a watermelon wheat beer. I cracked it only about three minutes earlier than I did for the Derby match this weekend. I am joined by the usual cavalcade of characters. Evan Skilter, Patty Jones, Paul Owen, and James Allen. Patty, did you kick any small children at Family Day this weekend as a result of having <laughs> to watch that Derby match? Surprisingly, no. Thankfully as well. Um, but thanks for bringing that up, Jeff. Um, no, the uh, Family Day without went without incident. Uh, we'll, we'll come to that later on. I think that includes any incident... Of note on the field for Wednesday. They did not look like scoring at any point in time. Weirdly, like, for having their captain and central defender sent off four minutes into the match, it was a strangely good performance, Evan? Yeah, I mean, it's really, really hard to evaluate and to analyze a performance like that when you're down to 10 men. I mean, it changes the whole complexity of the match, but I think we should absolutely be excited and happy about how they played. I think that, you know, when you lose when you lose a man, it kind of changes your focus and it, and it changes obviously. I shouldn't even say kind of. It definitely changes your focus. And I don't know, maybe that maybe that'll help us moving forward. Maybe it got some of uh some of the starting 11 or I guess starting 10 maybe more focused and and ready to play moving forward. James, would you describe yourself as happy and or excited after watching that match? I don't think I'm going to describe myself as either of the above, to be honest, Jeff. To be honest, I'm, I'm more uh, bemused this evening because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying to understand this, uh, this idea that we're all a bunch of Muppets in America has really taken off to the point where I've been, uh, I've been profiled. So I've been accused of, uh, of being the um, fable Muppet character Dr. Bunsen Honeydew today, um, which I looked up on Wikipedia, and apparently that's uh, a bold, green-skinned, bespectacled, lab-coated scientist who would do periodic science segments from Muppet Labs, where the future is being made today. So I'm not sure which part of me is green, uh, bespectacled, or lab-coated, but um, I guess that's probably what's making me excited right now, Jeff, because it certainly isn't Sheffield Wednesday. I don't want to go back to Carlos in or out, and I don't want to spend too much time on the Derby match, frankly. Um, <laughs> I think you do have to put it in context. It was a strong performance given the circumstances. It was a bad result overall, and it follows a run of bad results. It's one win in the last six at this point. They have two winnable games coming up this week, which we'll get to in the last segment, as much as we ever do analysis and preview, it'll mostly be... I, I have to say, the most thing I've been excited about for this show all week is hearing uh, James's preview and analysis of Millwall. <laughs> been very excited about that. I'm less excited about the actual Millwall match, because it's just a difficult team to get excited about right now. Again, the performance was fine. I think they all put in a shift. They worked hard, given the circumstances. But I know they were down to 10 men, and you can quibble about the various penalty shouts in the first half, Paul, but they never really looked like scoring. Uh, no, I mean, that was one of the statistics that stood out, wasn't it? Zero shots on, on goal. You know, and I think that we've had plenty of those recently that's kind of driving us all a bit crazy, but that really did not feel like... I was surprised when I saw that stat, and, you know, looking back at the game, watching the replay... I think sometimes we, we could have done with going down to 10 men more often this season, right? It really, like Evan said, it really kind of 
it started to look like we cared. We started to move. We were playing at pace. And again, some of that magic passing, the small triangles, the movement was back. Hooper to Bannon to Lee. You could start to feel it again. I was excited. You know, I, I thought, you know, this isn't so bad. And I think from what I gather on social media, a lot of the feeling was, you know what, lads, if you're going to play like that, okay. You know, we, if we're going to go down to mid-table, but we're playing like that, we, we're performing to the best of our ability, you know, then we can see a clear issue. I think the most frustration is not playing to our ability. Uh, but, you know, like I said, I think we saw a little bit of that this weekend. I think we've seen bits of it in most of the games, haven't we, as well? It's just that we haven't been that clinical at the end of the move. So Bannon, for me, has been great all season. Been maybe like one poor game. But on Saturday, he did everything but score. He was spraying balls around like Beckham. He was running around. Uh, he was doing shots. He was little passes like the triangle you are saying earlier on. He was just everywhere on the field. And he, he couldn't do uh, any more than what he did other than put the ball in the back of the net, which is the only real criticism I've got for Bannon. He doesn't score enough goals. Um, so I agree with you, Paul. I think we play some good football at times. We're just missing a little bit of luck, uh, a little bit of confidence up front as well. And I want, that wants, I want to bring on to that, actually. Um, on the two penalty calls, so the Hooper one, which he got tangled up in, which was possibly a penalty call, but it was close. And on the Fletch thing, right? I think of the last... And Lee last week, too. Kieran Lee last week, I think it was, when he got a uh, penalty call, too. Are our players going down too easily? What do you think? Because I feel like, for me, they are. And that's why it's a little bit kind of... Uh, it's a little bit kind of like... I don't think we can call them penalty shouts because I feel like the slightest push and they're going down too easily when they play a better chance to either get a ball in or, or take a shot. I mean, I think you'll never hear me say anything negative about Kieran Lee. This is known. I think you can forgive Lee. There was a lot of contact there. The defender ended up going to ground. There was so much contact. And Lee himself is not a particularly big, strong, center-forward type. He did make a little bit of a meal of it. I think you can certainly say that, you know, with the arms up. But if he was going at speed, I don't think that was... I think it was certainly a penalty. I don't think you can really hit him for diving, per se. Uh, you know, Stephen Fletcher, you know, his role, he's the big number nine center forward. He's got to stay on his feet there and make a shot. Which apparently is what the uh, the referee said to him as well, Jeff. Um, which, which, you know, frankly, in, in the event afterwards, is, is kind of laughable, you know, for a referee to say, look, I saw the push, but you, you should have stayed on your feet. That's not his role. His role is just to see the push and to award the foul. I mean, to, to come back to your point, though, Paddy, you know, I'm not. I'm not sure you can say that our players specifically are going down too easily. Um, you know, I, I want to give the benefit of the doubt. I don't believe that our players are being coached to go to ground. Um, but I think there is definitely an epidemic of of diving or simulation in the game, and you saw that, you know, in, in fairly controversial fashion in the Premiership this weekend. And that's certainly colouring the way in which the referees are dealing with those situations. And you know, arguably, we seem to be for one reason or another, uh, falling afoul of that. And whether that's something to do with incidents that have happened in the past where players have gone down too easily, um, or whether it's you know our, our players just simply not staying on their feet for long enough, I'm not quite sure. I think it indicates there's a lack of confidence. Because if you've got confidence in yourself to take a shot that's going to go in, you're not going to take a dive. And I think in, in both... I mean, that Hooper chance, first of all, he was, he was in front of the defender for about a good few seconds. He could have pulled the trigger there and then. He doesn't. He hesitates, and that's when the, the defender gets his legs tangled in front of him. Fletcher, stay on your feet, put it in, you're three yards out, it's a goal. Uh, I feel like they haven't got the confidence to strike it quick, or they prefer to take the easy way out and try and get a penalty, which is bizarre when you're only three yards from goal. It's going to be easy, uh, easier to score from there than it is from 12 yards out. But I, I feel like, I don't know, I'm a bit frustrated with Fletcher. Hooper not so much, and Lee not so much either, but Fletcher was definitely, he should have stayed on his feet. Well, well confidence is one thing to say, but I think determination is also a, a thing that we've been lacking for this whole season we've been talking about focus a little bit and we you know Paul and I both mentioned that you know it looked like we were a little more focused throughout this match but the t- determination factor you know how bad how badly do you want to score if, if you're 3 yards in front of the the goal like Fletcher was you know just like you said just shoot it and score and i think we've we've noticed a couple times this year where guys just they they've had some chances and they've uh, just not seemed like they cared enough to get the ball to goal. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think we do have to be a little bit careful. I mean, s- Saturday, and this is kind of why I was feeling a little bit flat when you asked the question at the top of the show, Jeff. You know, I'm, I'm just not sure how much we can truly take out of Saturday. 
I mean, the, the reaction after the sending off was was certainly positive. I think you know overall we probably deserved a draw, and I said so after the match. I stand by that. But it's it's an aberration in terms of a performance and a set of circumstances. It certainly wasn't the game plan that the team had gone into. So, you know, whether those are players that are genuinely low on confidence and not shooting on sight, Evan, or whether it's you know just trying to be absolutely clinical, I'm, I'm you know I, I don't want to kind of infer one way or the other. But we 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 can't take too much from that one performance, and it leaves us in this kind of flat position where you know the team. Clearly, you know, has been under under the gun over the last four or five games. We come up with a little bit of positive in ter- terms of the reaction on Saturday, but we're no better off in the table. We've got two on paper winnable games coming up, but but the pressure is just enormous, uh, both on Carlos on the team and 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 amongst the fan base at the moment. So it just kind of leads to this really kind of flat atmosphere, I think, which is it's just it's not a lot of fun being Wednesday right now, and that you know that's such a sea change from from even twelve months ago. It's going to be interesting, I think, to see how the fans react in Hillsborough. Because we've had a bad away performance and then just a weird away performance because of the circumstances. The away crowds are getting restless. There were apparently fights in the stands this past weekend. Some sort of incident with Adam Reach. It's unclear exactly what happened. But it's just... It can get very negative at Hillsborough very quickly. I think this is... Let's just hope they don't sell out of shirts in the club shop before kickoff. We will get to the shirts, of course. I mean, if we come back here next week and they bag six points in the next two games, there's still a lot to do, but I think our attitude will be a little more convival. But I don't think there's much confidence in any of the five of us that's actually going to happen. You know, I mean, it, it, it's it's hard to see where, where the uplift comes from, and, and maybe it comes from, you know, things really kicking on in another, I'm going to call it a Yorkshire, Yorkshire Derby, to use your phrase, mm-hmm. Jeff and Evan, um, on Saturday, although, um, quite frankly, when, when we talk about Barnsley, we'll tell you why it isn't a derby match at all. Um, but, but you know, clearly the, the club needs uh, something to distract it from all the off-the-field issues, all of the, everything that's gone on so far this season, and just give us something to unite around. Um, because that is so sorely lacking, and you know, I, I think one of the things as well is that people are beginning to question even the the positives that we've been talking about. So, you know, I'll hold my hands up. Two weeks ago on here, we were talking about bringing Leuven's back into the squad, and and I think all of us were almost unanimous in saying that that was the right thing to do. We needed his experience, we needed his leadership in the back line. But, you know, quite frankly, we can we can talk about the decisions that that went against us. We can talk about the the lack of finishing, but. But that incident with Leuven's four minutes into the game was it was devastating in terms of the way in which Derby ripped us apart and, and the way that he handled that situation because it was the opposite of, of leadership. He you know, he, he should simply should not have, have gone into Vidra the way he did. Uh, the way he was turned for pace was astonishing. I mean he had a probably a five, six yard head start on Vidra and was was completely left flailing. So, you know, when we talk about the upsides that we've been scratching around for the last few weeks even those don't seem to be coming to fruition. So it really is going to take a barnstorming performance or, or three to uh, to try and move the team forward and, and hopefully go into the international break with, with something like a, an uplift of, uh, of attitude. Can we talk about the red card, though? Because I, I, I'm still... I, st- I still don't understand the double jeopardy double... role. So I've been looking at the double jeopardy law, right? Shall I read it out to you? So this is what the double jeopardy law says, right? Denying an obvious goal-scoring opportunity the penalty area in the penalty area is no longer a straight red card unless the offence is holding, pulling, or pushing. There's no attempt to play on a possibility of making a challenge, or it's an offence which is punishable by a red card, like violent conduct, for example. I've looked at this over and over and over again now, this, this Leuven's challenge. First of all, I think it actually was committed outside of the box, or at least on the line, just, just, just outside the line. And second of all, he's not holding, pulling, or pushing. There's no uh, violent conduct for me, it's not a red card. It's part of the double jeopardy rule. He's denying a goal-scoring opportunity, fair enough, yeah. But that's, it says states that there and then, it's no longer a straight red card offence. The thing that's missing, Paddy, is an attempt to play the ball. So, well, you know, the, the, the law, I think, is... And I'm not sure if that's included in the passage you just quoted, but if there's no genuine attempt to play the ball, then it's considered a professional foul, and that doesn't apply... The double jeopardy rule doesn't apply, so you can have red card and... I mean, that's kind of... And that, that's the way it I mean, was... Look at it... Yeah, I mean, that's that's the only thing really that, that you could really push it for. But, I mean, I think you could argue that. I'm surprised they haven't argued, uh, appealed, appealed the red card. Tried to appeal it, at least. Didn't he just get one one game ban, I think I read today? I wonder if that's a reflection of that. Because, for me, it's a soft 
soft red. I mean, the the guy knows that that he's got his defender coming in. You know, Lubens is closing in. He's got a pay, He's got a, a stride ahead of him. Lubens makes contact on his back. He goes down at speed. You know, I, I I've watched it over and over again. There's no legs tangled. It's clearly some upper body contact that Lubens makes. Uh, probably not even an attempt to push, but it just makes contact, and the guy just goes down. You know, I. I I, I could easily see a, a yellow if for simulation the other way. I'm not sure that Lubens took him down, pushed him. He, the guy doesn't break stride, he just goes over. So, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not happy about it either. I, double jeopardy or not, I just don't think it was a foul. I think he did clip his feet as well. It is, it is weird. I, he does make a head movement with his hand, like you say, like it's pushed him, but it's very it's so fast, there's no way that can be classed as a push. But I think that there is some contact with the feet as well, like a very, very tiny little clip outside the box so it is it is very hard to see obviously we're, we're looking back 20 times i still can't really decide for certain what it is so the referee's got to make a choice there and then so it's, it's a hard call to make uh it was kind of uh, like it was kind of surreal harsh. at the time um which i, I give paddy some credit to because um those of you who, uh, who watch games uh, abroad you'll recognize that there's no commentary on iFollow so um through the wonders of modern technology we had both a video stream and an audio stream except they weren't running in sync three minutes into the game so i think the the audio was about 30 seconds behind so we had this kind of terrifying visual of vidra streaming clear Leuven's bundling into him and uh, and everything that resulted and meanwhile just some very placid commentary about the ball being knocked around in the middle and uh, and nugent picking it up so we, we weren't really sure what was happening in real time and then of course we didn't get any replays but I, i'm going to disagree with both of you you know when i've watched it back it just looks clumsy to me you know i think Leuven's knows that he's been done for pace he knows that he can't get close enough he's you know he's just not not in a position to make the tackle and i think he does just bundle into him um, which clumsy, aggressive, deliberate or otherwise, I think that's a justifiable red and, and you didn't see him protest it either, which probably tells you something. Here's, a, here's an extra dimension. So, four minutes in, full house, you're the referee, that happens. It, it wasn't vicious, it was not malicious. Do you play that red card? Because you effectively ruin the rest of the game, right? That's what I found a bit, a bit weird as well is... How does that referee play that red card straight away as he does? Because, I don't know, there's lots of grey areas here as we're discussing. Why ruin the game? Well, I mean, it's not really his job to do anything other than adjudicate the foul as it happens. Whether So, I mean, ideally, whether it was in the box or outside the box, you you legislate the game the same way. Whether it's the fourth minute or the 44th minute, you make the call that you make. We can argue whether it was right or wrong, but I don't think the timing should play into it just like we wouldn't want it to play in on the other end if there was a uh, a clear penalty for wednesday yeah and I, I, look i mean there's, there's a bigger picture at play here um leuven's just wasn't in a position to make the challenge and and we were caught short there and, and therefore you know whether that's lack of game time whether it's the fact that he's he's aging he's lost his you know that that extra edge of pace the point is the experienced center back that we were bringing back in and counting on to provide leadership, you know, it doesn't look like he's he's necessarily going to provide that, whether he's fit or otherwise, throughout the course of the season. And and it was a game of contrast because you saw, you know, I think Richard Keogh was the the man of the match on the Derby side. I thought he had a very good game. Um, there were a couple of times where he came marauding forward. In fact, I think it was Keogh that that had the shot that Westy arguably um, may have handled just outside the area. Which you know, I'm sure Derby fans talking would uh, would point to that to a, a, an interesting refereeing decision. But Curtis Davies as well, you know, again a very experienced centre-back that, you know, the, the defender who made the challenge on Hooper for the uh, the tackle that Paddy was talking about earlier on. You know, those are the type of defenders that arguably we should have in our back four right now. Um, and, you know, perhaps that's just another illustration of, of where where this squad and, and the re- recruitment decisions that were made in the summer have got ourselves into real difficulties now for, for the rest of the season. Can I end on a positive? Sure. Okay, so I thought Hooper was really good. All right, again, Hooper and Bannon, excellent. Um, but I feel what's missing now with Hooper, because he drops so deep, is someone with pace to partner him. So there's no, there's no point coming in deep if no one's making the runs. No, Kieran Lee's trying to, and Bannon's trying to. So we need a strike partner that's got pace. And you know what that means. Oh, yes, I am breaking the glass on the emergency button. It's time for George Hurst to Does save us Does he have a contract? He can't even play with the under-23s right now, as far as I know. Jeff is just that semantics. <laughs> George Hurst is our saviour. He's got pace, he can score goals, he's got confidence. What more are we looking for? He's are you just sucking up the Owls talk now so they'll plug us again on their podcast? <laughs> no, 
I'm talking sentence. What about this Bulgarian kid? I'm excited who, about I, him. Exactly where I was going, Jeff. Begovic, right? Uh, something like that. He's like the new <laughs> George Bulgarian. Hurst. Forget George Hurst. We've got George Hurst Mark II, and he's Bulgarian. George Hurstikov. It's, it's like Histo Stroichkov, but like 40 years younger. <laughs> Perhaps we should move on, huh? <laughs> so uh, that is enough moaning from our lot. Though if you want to get in the act, we do have a voicemail number now where we encourage you to leave a message after a pint or four. It's our uh, dazed and mumbled line. You can call it at one four zero one three zero seven eighteen sixty seven. International rates do apply, but you can dial it for free using Google Voice. And we do have a voicemail to discuss this week, Patty. We do. Thanks so much for calling in, guys. Uh, we have actually have two voicemails. The first one is from Chris Pennant in Chicago. Uh, so I'm just going to play that for you right now, and then uh, I'll just uh, we'll get back to you in a second. Hey, Chris Pennant from Chicago. Um, just wanted to say a very clever last four digits on the phone number first. Uh, secondly, honestly, this season, while frustrating, isn't that big of a deal when you consider who we've had out, the replacements that we've had, uh, Lubin's being out for a while, Hutchinson being in and out as usual, Forestieri being out. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not unforeseen that we would be in the position we're in. However, I'm not ready to say Carlos should be out, but that's 55% because I don't know who we would pick up that would make a change. I mean, we were good in the second half of the season with Stuart Gray, we put him in charge for a full season, and we were mid-table. And obviously, management saw that we didn't want to be mid-table forever, so they decided not to renew his contract. So I believe in Carlos. I believe in what he's done. I think he can take us up. We just need to get some pieces back and have everyone quiet down a bit. But a win sure would have helped that. That's my two cents. UTO. Thanks for that, Chris. And I think he... He made mention of something that we haven't really brought up on the show, and I know he's a contentious figure in Sheffield Wednesday fandom in general nowadays, but does this squad just miss Fernando Forestieri? I think we always miss Forestieri. I know. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, I know there was the controversy with him playing on the left, and like Fletcher and Hooper had a a good strike partnership uh, at the beginning of the year, even when he was still around. He does so much in that number 10 role, although I know he's not a, a, a true number 10 in a lot of ways that just being a pest defending from the front he gives us a different look and he's also capable of putting the team on its back for weeks at a time did they just is this just a different squad without forestieri in it i think he definitely adds uh, another element to to the game as you just said he he does a lot you know he's not a one-dimensional player he, he can do a whole bunch he adds a spark um are we missing him you know we're definitely missing something and uh, maybe it's a little bit of enthusiasm, and maybe that is something that he could add, uh, and, and something we are missing. Did anybody did anybody see that um, tweet? I think it was um, the uh, SWSC Supporters Club that put out um, talking about since Carlos being manager, you know, without without Fessy. I think I can't remember. It was something like you know we played thirty something. We'd only, we'd only won ten, which seems seems to stick out to me. Um, with more 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 away goals, uh, sorry, goals against than four, um, with about forty something points. I think that the the point being made was, you know, we clearly do not perform or haven't performed without Fessy uh, anywhere near as as well as we do with him. And look, he requires, to put it politely, a little bit of man management at times. But when he's motivated he's one of the best players in the league, if not the best player in the league. And I think any squad is going to miss that. Yeah, I think, I think it's a great point, Mike, Chris. Uh, so thanks, Chris, for that um, voicemail. Appreciate it. If anyone else wants to join in, uh, we do encourage you, if you're beers after the match, maybe you want to just give us a call. Uh, you can use Google Voice for free to call us, or you can call us on plus one four zero one three zero seven one eight six seven. And we do have one more voicemail to share with you. It's from a guy called Mr. Hillsberg. It sounded a very familiar voice to me, this, but um, here you go. Have a listen to this. Hello. You've reached the Owls AmeriCast. We're not here right now to take your call. Wait, 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 Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. Now you've got to do the full SEO-friendly title. I've told you about this. No one's Get gonna, the full title no in there. No one's going to web search for our voicemail message, Patty. 
it's very important. I mean, SEO specialists, you have to have the full welcome to Owls Americas, blah, 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 blah. Need it in there. Oh, for f***. Hello, I mean, I hope the uh, Owls Americas. This is Lord uh, Mr. Hillsberg calling from UK. Ah, that's right, UK, mother country. Now, I'm phoning because I've had enough of that lot taking jobs of hard-working podcast aristocracy. I'm not having it. So they can sit over there with their aluminum foil and their car trunks and they can pretend to talk about footy. Ah, footy, not soccer or any of that crap so they can take that podcast and they can shove it right up the oh jeez i'm gonna have to re-record this now that had better not be my will to win vhs was it one or two to re-record the Now it's time to make a long-distance call of our own to find out why in the world someone wants to be indoors watching Sheffield Wednesday on a beautiful Southern California weekend morning. That is the question we pose to our San Diego owl, Neil Schaefer. Neil, how did you become a Wednesdayite? Well, I'll answer your first question first, and that's because it's 7 in the morning or 4.30 in the morning. By the time the match is done, the sun's coming up, and it's perfect time to go to the beach. So that's that's the first answer. I became a Wednesdayite, uh, I guess, through my parents. They are not Wednesdayites, but I'll get there. My mom studied abroad at, at the University of Sheffield, um, maintained a close friendship with one of her classmates uh, from the university who lives outside of Manchester. So our families always did a lot together. We've traveled a lot in England. And my parents, before I was born, traveled some in England. Um, and my dad, one trip, he brought home a Sheffield Wednesday shirt, still before I was born. So being a sports fanatic growing up, you know, I had teams in every other league, and I would see my dad wearing the Sheffield Wednesday shirt. So it just became natural after I memorized all the information on the shirt because it lists, you know, the, the date the club was formed and the, the name of the stadium and the, the, largest, uh, the largest crowd we've had. Um, after I memorized all that, I figured, you know, I guess time to be a Sheffield Wednesday fan. And so I followed them um, over the years as best I could. It hasn't always been easy, but but thank God for the Internet. And here we are. Which shirt yeah, was so, it? Yeah, exactly. That was the question. It is. Well, this one is just a T-shirt. It's uh, it's a beautiful T-shirt. It's got the, the 70s owl logo the, with the yellow version of it on it. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. If you go, I'll plug your website. If you go to owlsamericas.com and you see my, my post about how I'm a Wednesday fan, um, you will see the, the t-shirt in that, in the photo on the page. So if anyone wants to go check it out, it's a great shirt and plug to owlsamericas.com. Great site. Basically, you've just, you just exposed the fact that, uh, some of our own, uh, hosts of the podcast haven't read your, um, blog on our website, uh, you, you guys are busy building a media. <laughs> I understand. Paddy, that, that's the perfect contrast between our slightly morose, downbeat uh, attitude so far this episode relative to Neil's upbeat positivity, which we've got to capitalize on. It, so, is, the, uh, it is the Southern California attitude, I've been told. We've got, sunsh- we've got sunshine out here every day of the year. I mean, how can you not be at least a little bit happy, right? So this is what I'm thinking. Last week on the pod, we were talking about the fact that, you know, maybe just maybe we should embrace the franchise system and move Sheffield Wednesday lock, stock and barrel to America for our own purposes. But it sounds like not not so much to the East Coast. We need to take them to the West Coast where we could actually have a happy and upbeat fan base. But Neil, I'm, I'm curious kind of in, you know, in receiving that T-shirt in, in the story you just told, what was it that spoke to you about Sheffield Wednesday? What kind of, um, you know, what, what got you excited and, and how did the story evolve from there? Well, I, I think I like the funky logo. It's like a little kid. I mean, seeing this like '70s logo, it's kind of, kind of, you know, it's kind of funky looking. So I think that was. I mean, just being a little kid, that was the first thing I gravitated towards. Um, over the years, I mean, I think it was just that family connection to Sheffield and just knowing my mom loved this town, uh, though she never attended any football matches. That is not not her uh, area of interest. I just knew her love of her time in Sheffield, um, my love of this shirt. And then, you know, my my family on my mom's side is from 
Pittsburgh, you know, the steel city here in the United States. It seemed fitting that connection to the steel city over in England. And just as I've watched them, I've just, I've, I don't know. I feel a connection more than I've, I felt watching any other of the, the soccer or football teams I've seen around the world. So it, it just, it's one of those love at first sight kind of things, I think. I was waiting for the very first person to link Pittsburgh and Sheffield together. So there I'm glad we got one on, on the, uh, the third episode. Yes, third episode, isn't it? So yeah, no more. Any grandmas who liked owls, Neil? Do you have any uh, owl fanatics in the family? <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I was, I, I don't think so. I mean, owls are great <laughs> animals. They're great animals. But I've, she did not have little owl figurines around the house. No. We're going to start playing bingo, I think, with some of our American fans and see where it's. I think Pittsburgh, Steel City, Steelers, obviously, massive thing there. So, um, And obviously, grandmas and owls are everywhere. So, <laughs> were there any like, favorite players you had growing up? You know, no. And, and, and part of it is just the difficulty following the matches. I mean, a lot of it was internet following. And so it was, it was limited to me, literally. I mean, a ritual of mine growing up from as early as I could read up through the end of high school was take the sports section and read it, you know, front to back every morning before going to school. And in the back page, they would have all the fine print sports and they would always have the, uh, the, the soccer tables. And so, I mean, that and the scores and and so that was a lot of how I followed, not knowing necessarily much about the players for for quite a while. It wasn't until, um, you know, the Internet age and and going to college and having a little more free time um, after college that I was able to really learn a lot more about the players on the current squad. um, You know, I'm a bit I've always um, I'm a bit fan of defense in any sport. Basketball, baseball, those are my specialties. So I'm a, I'm a bit of a Kieran Westwood guy, and I think he performed admirably this past week. I think there were some top-notch saves um, in the face of uh, some a little bit of adversity. So you already alluded to this, talking about the Southern California mornings. We have another, at least what's a 12.30 kickoff at Hillsborough, 7.30 kickoff for those on the East Coast, 4.30 out where you are. How do you uh, handle the 4.30 kickoffs? Um, a lot of mind over matter. Um, I don't feel good. I don't enjoy waking up. It does put you in the right frame Um, of mind, at least. The the first leg of the the playoff this past year, the Huddersfield playoff, um, was the morning after my girlfriend's birthday party. And so I went to bed a little early, but probably went to bed around one and then woke up for whatever time that match was. And, you know, it just it's something if I want if I'm going to commit to something, I'm going to commit. I don't I will admit I don't always make it. I don't always make it. The alarm goes off at 415 and some mornings I just say no. Maybe maybe Friday night was a little too much fun. Maybe I'm not feeling well, whatever. And then I might get up at like 515 or something like that. Um try to try to put it off till halftime it's not easy but it's it's fun i mean it's something that everyone thinks i'm a little crazy to do and there's there's something fun sometimes about people thinking you're a little crazy you know neil that attitude of just saying uh no at uh at 4 15 <laughs> i've got I've been at the moment, screaming, so. screaming i want to i want to I want to. I want to ask the same question, but I. I want to ask it through through the lens of therapy for for the next time we suffer in a derby. Tell us more about what you just said earlier. After the game, you then the sun is up, and then you run to the beach because I think that's what we all need to do after a bad derby. Is imagine you running down to the beach and diving into the Pacific. Tell us more about that. How does that work after a four thirty start? What you're wearing. <laughs> uh, Neil, you don't have to answer all of this. <laughs> oh well, I mean, little Baywatch dream scene at the moment. Well, right now I've got right now I've got Wednesday gear on, so I'll talk. <laughs> but um, you know, I, I think I think being by the beach, it just does make you a little more appreciative of everything, and it's it's not always easy after some of these these uh, um, some of these results, but. You know, this past Saturday after the match, I drove straight to the beach, sat in the beach chair, read a magazine, watched the waves, and honestly, I couldn't have felt any better about life or our football club. I mean, yeah, you know, it's it's not easy these days, but 
I live in by the beach. I'm following what I think is the best football club in the world. Um, I make breakfast while watching football. I mean, there's there's really nothing better than that. And Neil, many... you know, the question that's going to be on the lips of every Wednesday fan listening to this is: Have you ordered a Sheffield Wednesday beach towel <laughs> from the shop to put on that beach lounge? No, I did not know they sold them, but I will go on this evening. Except, I'll be honest, I tried to buy a shirt today, and it told me that it did not recognize my email address when I went to log in, and I went to create a new one, and it told me that there already was an email address, an account associated with that email address. So I'm going to be making a phone call to uh, to Hillsborough to get that sorted out, and as soon as I do, I will be ordering the beach towel because that is a must-buy. I will throw this out to our uh, to our English contingent here. Does the, I guess Neil's philosophy doesn't work as well in Brighton? Maybe so fact, Brighton it, it might work okay in Brighton. <laughs> yeah. I'm as, not sure. It works as I said, a lot of my a lot of my philosophy is mind over matter. So if you have to do a little polar bear plunge, if you have to jump in a dirty river somewhere, if, like next to an old industrial Gowanus Canal, yeah, you have to you know go jump in the North Sea. Just whatever. It's good for the body. It reinvigorates. The blood circulates. You know, we don't have the warmest water here. So it's uh, it wakes me up, too. Can I jump in the Hudson River? That's what I've often felt like doing yes. after watching the Wednesday recently. I just jump in the river and maybe just never seeing anyone ever again. <laughs> My outlook of jumping in the Hudson River is way more bleak than your outlook of jumping in the, uh, in the sea. But it sounds amazing. I and Honestly, I wish I had a beach to go to every time Wednesday lost. I'm jealous. <laughs> That's what I mean. Therapy, you see. Now imagine the whole of Hillsborough just diving into the ocean after a bad derby. It's perfect. I should just, well, I should just start doing a live stream after every bad loss. <laughs> sit at the beach, prop up my iPad or my laptop, <laughs> facing the waves. Uh, exactly. Every so often I'll check. Every so often I'll just like pop a new beer and put it in front of the camera. <laughs> this is amazing. This is an amazing moment, Jeff. Jeff, have you got any like rolling wave sounds so we can just play in the background here? You should have minutes to hear waves rolling. Uh, maybe I, we can start like a side business here, like virtual reality for the suffering football fan. Because it's not just our club that's suffering. I mean, you got like 15 tiers in English football, and then every other league around the world. Guys, this is a goldmine. Yeah, I follow I do take feel like Wednesday fans in general could use a little bit of uh, transcendental meditation on the beach anyway. So. Uh, yeah. or, or at least those that spend their time on Twitter. I think we've got to be careful, though, here, because, you know, kind of mental therapy, massage therapy, relaxation, these things are all premium products, right? I mean, Wednesday fans are going to want a pretty deep discount, so we're going to have to come up with a pretty uh, pretty lean economical model in order to provide this to 30,000 people on a weekly basis. We, we, partner, we just need to find some Australian. and uh... Hear me out here. We partner with iFollow. Whenever you're down by more than two goals, a little link pops up in the top right corner and says, take me to Neil's Beach. And you yeah. click on the little link. <laughs> And you, you you whisked away to a virtual beach and sea with the, the waves, and no one cares about losing two 0 to Derby. We've uh, we've descended into Paddy's personal fantasy here. This is um, well, this is getting me. even more disturbing. The more <laughs> Paul's got me started. I mean, I'm already picking girls running down to the beach. I like it. I think when we have our, <laughs> when we have our, when we have the uh, Owls Americas pop up at Hillsborough, we'll 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 bring Neil. We'll just have this virtual beach. If we lose, we just invite all the fans just to come and chill out on our beach. We've been talking about New York Owls away days. I feel like doing one in San yeah. Diego is probably not the worst idea in the world. I, I think we need a right. nationwide road trip. Absolutely, definitely. I mean, well, I already feel relaxed to talk about you, Neil. Um, I do. How you? How do you think the season's going so far, Neil? Um, you asked me to be positive, so I'll say, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's uh, not great. Not great, to be honest. I, I think uh, I, I think we've had a, a little... Our expectations have been a little too high each of the last two years, but we should be executing much better than we are now. I mean, obviously, I don't need to go through the losses that we shouldn't have on our record, but I, I take some solace in the fact that um, that I, I don't think the players they haven't you know given up on the team. They still want to play for Sheffield Wednesday. They they for the most part seem to really be putting their or at least attempting to put their best feet forward. Um, and there's still a long way to go in the season, so. That's the positive spin on it, but uh, it's it's a struggle. I mean, for all of us, obviously, but there there's still time. 
so Neil, I've, I've got one one final question for you, which is kind of to let um, folks into kind of a bit of the the sausage making that uh, that brought about Owls Americas. So back in the summer when we were uh, we were putting together this group and the concept of of trying to bring together all the fan groups across the US and Canada and and South America we you know we kind of dreamed up this idea of Owls Americas and we did a, a quick twitter search and we found this guy who had the uh, the handle Owls Americas yeah that guy turned out to be you so um one thing you were absolutely gracious in uh, in helping us to to get things set up in terms of of setting up the organization but i'm just curious you know what what was your original thinking there in terms of trying to connect with other wednesdayites in america and, and you know how's that been going for you and 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 what are you hoping for um you know as we go through this season and and forwards so it was one of those ideas where where life ended up getting in the way and and you know other things took hold but my idea was your was exactly your idea like i was on twitter i, I on my other twitter account and I was like, you know, there's Miami Owls, Tampa, Vancouver, you got Ohio, New York, you've got South America, you've got all over the world. I was like, the least we could do is try to set up a network where we could advertise meetups and have articles periodically, maybe expand it from there, try to connect these Owls fans nationwide. And that was that was exactly right. And I got to commend all of you on what you put together. The The site is beautiful. The podcast is fantastic, especially the Muppet theme that's been running throughout. Um, and it's uh, it's incredible. I love it. And I love how quickly it seems to have grown over the last uh, few months. Um, it's amazing the recognition it's gotten both here and on the, the official site itself. Cool. Well, thanks, Neil. Um, thanks so much for coming on to the uh, podcast. We will definitely have you back. We, want, we need your positivity. We need your beach. Uh, and we'll, we'll look forward to hearing from you again soon. Thanks so much. We can't have second-tier English football chat and ignore the second division of American soccer now, can we? So this week, for dispatches from American soccer, we come from the USL playoffs, the United Soccer League, the second-tier of American soccer, although, of course, we do not have promotion and relegation. We do have Didier Drogba, apparently, because he popped up on my Twitter feed, which is why I wanted this on the agenda. Yeah, he uh, he plays out in Phoenix, which is actually where Laura is from, uh, the lady we had on the show last week. And uh, she was very excited that the USL playoffs are going on now. And um, for anyone unfamiliar with the playoff system in the United States, basically we have an Eastern Conference and a uh, Western Conference. And the top eight teams from each each conference go into a playoff against each other. And then the winner from the East and the West play each other for the championship. Um, and so, yeah, the, the Phoenix Rising, they're out in the West. They were the, the number five seed in the West. And, and Didier Drogba had, a, I believe, a stoppage time goal to help them win their first round match against Swope Park Rangers. Swope Park. What is, is that a word or a place? What is it? Well, um, Swope Park Rangers is affiliated with, I believe, Real Salt Lake, which no, is the MLS. A, it's, it's Sporting, Sporting KC. Oh, that's right. Yeah, out yeah. of Kansas. Yeah. yeah, so they're kind of like a minor league club of of Sporting KC. Uh, I don't know where Swope or Swope Soccer Club plays. Um, yeah, but no, yeah, this is a sure. thoroughly researched segment. <laughs> also, though, Didier Dogba owns Phoenix Rising, right? He owns Phoenix Rising with the uh, Denver Bar, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So he owns the club, and he's still playing it. That's why he's there. Thirty-eight yeah, I mean, years he's, old. Uh, yeah, he's yeah, he's forty, isn't he? He's got in the 99th minute. Surely he wasn't playing for 99 minutes. Yeah, he well, has, he... uh, <laughs> as a 39-year-old for Phoenix Rising this year, he bagged nine goals in 13 appearances. Yeah, um, it's not incredibly competitive. Check out uh, if you if you if you go to if you go to YouTube and um, just just look for Didier Drogba free kick USL, you'll see a goal he scored. I think it was the first week of August. It's like a it's like a, it's almost like a forty yard dead <laughs> ball free kick, free kick straight in the top corner. I mean, it is unbelievable. It would be unbelievable in any league and uh, I think that um, the the USL guys couldn't believe it when that went in. So yeah very cool to to see Drogba over here playing at the second division level. Now Drogba played for an an MLS side last year uh, I think for the last two years. Um, He was in Montreal yeah. 
correct. Yeah. So, uh, very cool to see him down there. There, there are a host of, of former players that that play in USL. I know Tampa Bay uh, had Joe Cole, and uh, I think they have another. And, and you know, throughout throughout the leagues, you'll see a couple guys pop up here and there. Jermaine Johnson is he still playing? No, he's back with Tivoli Gardens. He only spent one year with the Indy Eleven. Tivoli Gardens. Where the hell's that? It's Jamaica. Oh, okay. Yes, JJ was playing for the USL quite a bit too. But the exciting bit here, uh, Evan, is for me and you, uh, is that there's a potential uh, Louisiana, sorry, Louisville City versus uh, Red Bulls 2, which is obviously your USL team, Louisville City, versus my baby bulls, we call them. I'm a Red Bulls supporter. Uh, our second team, that's a potential final, is it? Or semi-final, I can't remember. A se- yeah. semi-final. So yeah. if that happens, we'll have a update in the podcast in a week or two so so i believe it'd be the the eastern conference final and then yeah, it's technically right. the overall semi-final so yeah, yeah. uh that'd be in in two weeks uh, so yeah that'd be great that'd be great and of course I, i've mentioned it on twitter but louisville city is coached by james o'connor former owl um our big rival is fc cincinnati who lost to tampa bay rowdies in the first round uh, i was pretty excited about that they lost three nil to Rowdies, and uh, last year they were coached by John Harks. So a couple uh, owl references there in the USL East. Sweet. Now we turn our attention to the week that will be for Sheffield Wednesday. It is a two-match week. They have a midweek match next Tuesday against Millwall. This Saturday, they're home against Barnsley. So as we have done in the first two episodes, we'll turn to British anthropology expert James Allen to explain to our listeners what the American comps would be for Barnsley and Millwall. Thank you, Jeff. Um, I've been getting a little bit of feedback on this section, which, uh, which suggests that I've been slandering British towns as I've been, uh, as I've been comparing them to, uh, to both American towns as well as the, uh, the, the circumstances that the poor people who live there uh, find themselves living in. So I'm going to try and start on a positive, which is uh, to be quite generous to our friends in Barnsley. Um, so for those who aren't aware, um, Barnsley is, is basically a suburb of Sheffield, which is highly controversial if you, if you come from Barnsley, but it's practically true. So it's about 14 miles northeast of Sheffield, um, just over the other side of the M1. It's a, a famous uh, town for many reasons, but mostly it was it found its heritage in the late 19th, early 20th century as a, as a pit town, um, a lot of collieries in the area. Um, and it has a very proud heritage as a, as a, a mining town, as a work, working class area um, in the heart of South Yorkshire. But it, it really is just an extension of Sheffield. So I actually was going to reach for the... Um, the analogy that we heard from our San Diego Al earlier on, which is if that if Pittsburgh is uh, is Sheffield in America, then uh, then Clareton in Pittsburgh is Barnsley to uh, to Pittsburgh's uh, Sheffield. So, Clareton is uh, is about fourteen miles outside of Pittsburgh. It's again a kind of uh, an old rundown uh, steel town, um, and it's how do, um, how do you know this? How do you know these small he's a, towns? He's a British anthropologist. The, these are the little things I, I look out for, Paddy. So, you know, if you're driving up the M1 and you see a sign on the left-hand side to go to Sheffield, the right-hand side to go to Barnsley, you'd be driving up I-76, left-hand side Pittsburgh, left-hand side Clareton. But, but Clareton uh, is also, uh, you know, very similar to, to Barnsley in the fact it's been, you know, gone through a lot of economic deprivation. Um, you know, a lot of, of latent industry has moved out. And, and that's what, what Barnsley sadly finds itself in. So I found a couple of quotes on Barnsley. I've been looking up... Uh, this is the most where, actual analysis we've had in three episodes of this podcast incredible <laughs> isn't it so um so i had a couple of comments from uh, barnsley locals to uh, to give you a flavor of what we're up against on uh, on saturday afternoon so jillian from barnsley in this buzzfeed article says even wh smith is closed which is a, a kind of popular chain of news agents or, uh, or kind of grocery stores uh, everything is just pound shops dollar stores uh, which do help people because they're cheap um, but it is very depressing. So that's Gillian, who was kind of up the upbeat of this week. <laughs> the, uh, the other one was from Trevor, who had lived in Barnsley all his life, and he used to be a coal miner, uh, but then the pits closed, so now he cleans toilets. And he, he said the following. He said, it's dirty work cleaning up after people. I clean the toilets in the marketplace, but you're picking up needles, cleaning up blood, poo, and piss. And <laughs> I get paid three, more, three times more when I work down the pit, and frankly, I preferred that work. That's just how awful it is. I'd rather be in the bowels of the earth than in these toilets. So <laughs> I've, uh, I've, I've come full circle. I, I kind of feel a little bit sorry for the good people of Barnsley. And um, they do have quite a, a heinous rivalry with, with Sheffield Wednesday because we're our closest uh, 
closest neighbour for in footballing terms, but they call it a derby. To us, it's it's a small local town that's been down on its luck for quite a long time, and um, they had one season in the sun in the in the Premiership in the late 1990s under the uh, the guidance of of Danny Wilson. Um, and you know, frankly, you know, I, I like to see them doing well. So uh, they're one of the few teams that are still in the Championship below us. I hope they stay there on Saturday, but but no uh, no real harm done uh, towards Barnsley. Speaking of toilets, didn't they come to uh, didn't they come to some soccer prominence? There was a story about the guy that, like fell asleep on the toilet there and got locked in. Was that Barnsley? It seems to be a toilet theme when it comes to uh, to Barnsley. Yeah, he was there late into the night, wasn't he? So was that you being nice to Barnsley? That wasn't nice at all. That was the, that was the biggest tack piece I've had yet. Well, it's all about perspective. Perhaps it was nice, and Barnsley's much worse than he just portrayed it to be. <laughs> I had to go on mute. I was laughing so much. Which, of course, brings us to Millwall. Ah, uh, Millwall. Oh, so, uh, so I found a great quote about Millwall. Um, who, who, you know, his reputation does precede them in footballing terms. But, you know, somebody, uh, somebody once said that uh, that if. Um, if England is the toilet of the world, then London is the arsehole. Um, well, if London is the arsehole of England, then uh, then Millwall is the hemorrhoids on the arsehole that is London. So um, probably the shittiest of football grounds in the shittiest of football areas with the shittiest of football fans. Um, and ironically, not even in Millwall. So uh, Millwall is actually uh, an area in the Isle of Dogs slightly further east in London. Uh, a club play in Bermondsey. Uh, which is just another suburb of uh, of the London metropolitan area. You know, you could pick any any sort of um, suburb in in New York or uh, or in LA or other one. Have you ever thought of working for the uh, UK Tourism Board, James? <laughs> yes, I'm trying to encourage all my American brethren to uh, to stay well away from Brexit Britain. But um, Millwall is famous for having elected the first uh, UKIP councillor. That's the UK Independence Party. Um, and also the British National Party as well. So um, pretty much a, a horrible set of, uh, of people in that area, um, which is borne out when you see their team successful. So rather like hemorrhoids, they flare up inconveniently and, uh, and with frustrating regularity. Uh, they've just come back into the championship after a couple of seasons of drift in League One and uh, and probably celebrated by invading the pitch at Wembley, which is one of the sacrosanct things you do not do in British football. So um, I'm sure others have got their own Millwall experiences to speak to, but there really is nothing to look forward to about them visiting Hillsborough. My one Millwall story as such is I was sitting in a bar in Queens a few years ago, run by a bartender who I guess played either youth league or non-league with Martin Hodge, which is a story he told me every single time I came in there and mentioned that I was a Sheffield Wednesday fan because he never remembered me. Also, apparently his dentist was a Sheffield Wednesday fan. There's only other one he knew. But we were sitting to talking and with the sort of scattering of fans that are there for the early Premier League games one morning, and there was a Chelsea fan there that explained his story of going to the old den and they literally, and I, if you don't know, Chelsea and Millwall have a have a storied rivalry. Let's put it that way. They had from basically the tube and uh, exit to the stadium was just lined with riot cops. Well, they were just standing there. So what was happening was like the hordes of Millwall fans were just throwing bottles over them onto the Chelsea fans coming out of the tube station. Yeah, that's uh, common. We we got pound coins thrown at us, which uh, it hurts quite largely. Uh, it's also the only ground I've been to uh, where I've seen a car on fire on the walk to the ground, so uh, there is that going for it. <laughs> it's truly as horrible as James explained. The only annoying side of, well, the only other annoying factor for Millwall is that they've uh, they've not had the most dreadful start to the season. In fact, I think they're they're just above Wednesday at the moment on goal difference in mid-table. So, you know, it would be easy to dismiss this as a horrible place with a, a horrible football club, but they are going to probably give us a very hard game on Tuesday, as we can expect Barnsley to, who always come to Hillsborough very fired up on uh, on Saturday. So they're not two easy games by any sense of the imagination, although they are certainly two games the fans fundamentally expect us to win and frankly Wednesday have to win if we want to try and keep the season in any semblance of order uh, heading into the break and a, and a hard game at Villa before we uh, we go into the break itself. Would you make any changes to the lineup at this point? I did notice last week that because of injuries and obviously Lewins will miss a game as the red card, our bench does not look quite as deep as it's been maybe at the beginning of the season. Well, you talk about Marco Matthias is back. <laughs> I've been, look, I, mean, I, I am a... I, I am the last Marco Matthias believer, but... <laughs> the last one on the hill. Uh, yeah, you're right. It's, 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 uh, he has looked a little thin, but there is people coming back too. So, like I say, Leuven's obviously suspended for the next game. Uh, I think 
obviously that means Van Aken will come back into the side. Um, like I say, I looked through the results for both of these clubs uh, over the past uh, past month, and they're both inconsistent. Barnsley uh, have won a couple, lost a couple, drawn a couple, but they're both uh, kind of like doing it by fine margins. And I actually also did a bit of research as well um, before this podcast, and a few of the Barnsley fans that I know said that they're playing good football, they're just not scoring goals, which obviously sounds quite familiar to us too. Um, so something's think... got to give, or else it's been nil nil. Yeah. It'll be a 7.30am nil-nil ball draw, which we'll all be very happy for. One thing I will say is um, I thought Morgan Fox had a really good game at centre-back. I was, he was very impressive. He <laughs> playing on, uh, on Saturday. And, you know, one of the, the oddities about our season so far has been, you know, the, the insistence that Carlos has had about p- persistently stationing Adam Reach at left-back. And I think, you know, we know he can do a job there, but I think many of us think that he's arguably more effective when he's forward and, and playing left midfield, uh, particularly on the edge of the diamond when we play in that formation. But, you know, I think Fox had a good game and, and you know, I'm sure Daniel Padil is wondering what he's done wrong, but but I think he did enough to retain the shirt and, and hopefully stay in at left back with, uh, with Reach playing a little bit more advanced, which should in turn give us a little bit more creativity, at least in theory. I go back and forth on Reach, especially. Like, I've liked him a little bit at at left back this year only because I haven't really liked him on the left side of the midfield but he does get turned too easily I think especially given Barnsley's issues scoring and our own defensive issues recently you know solidifying that back line a little more might not be the worst idea going into this game I just if you move reach up into that spot I just don't know who you're sitting I'd like to see a little more defensive solidity I think if Hutch is match fit now he should probably take all 90 in that deeper lying role because it really didn't suit Kieran Lee that much on Saturday. I know he was kind of pressed into it too because of the, you know, having to adjust the formation after Lubins got sent off. But I just think, I don't know, there's no, I, at this point now, there's no easy answers. I think you just have to roll with sort of the established best 11 and see what happens. Well, after that awkward pause, is there any other business? Uh, are any of you going to uh, to buy the kit? I already bought mine this morning. Yeah, I will. Mine. I will not be boycotting the kit. Yeah, I bought the full set for my little boy as well. But am I too? The it's, whole a, it's a nice looking shirt. It's a little shirt, and it looks actually good quality. I was I was concerned when they sent the first tweet out that there was no pictures of the actual kit that had come in the uh, recent order. But when they did the update today, it had a picture up there. It looked good. It looked an Owl's talk. The quality looks good. I'm happy. Uh, apparently, the uh, Chanceri is part of the fabric. It's not a transfer. There's a few little nice touches like that around the shirt. Around the shirt. Uh, I have willingly paid $90 for the shipping and the shirt and the EFL badge. Uh, it's stung a little bit, but I'm happy it's finally here. Now, I've heard that the, the sizing's a bit off. Have you guys heard those rumbles as well? Yeah, order larger. I heard. Actually, Evan, as a as a twenty five pound, uh, twenty five hundred pound American, right. I think you were accused of being, you know, and obviously a little bit to the uh, right. the liquid cheese. It does go up to four um, XL on. Though I, I did notice, I think, I think large and four XL were already sold out when I uh, <laughs> went online this morning. So the Americans have been ordering them. That's good. The, the American cheese bibs have all sold out as well, apparently. Oh no. Hey, that's an Amber store, isn't it? Buy your American cheese bibs now. Breakfast cheese bibs. <laughs> that should be that should be an Owls Talk merchandise item. Hey, don't don't be the We're creating a, a pan fan group merch store here. Maybe that's uh, that's a platform that we can uh, we can create on the rest of the fan base. And you know, here's here's the great thing, right? The kit is here. You know, this has been something we've been grumbling about. Everyone's been grumbling about for however many months. Yes, it's been a debacle getting to this point, but it's here now. So let's enjoy it and get on with it. You know, and um, what I think has been the most depressing thing today has has been how the the people who've been really positively sharing stories about how they've got their kits for their kids, like some of you guys have done today, posting those pictures on social media, have been kind of overwhelmed by the number of fans who've been essentially having a go at them for buying the shirt. I mean that that's just thoroughly depressing to see our, our fan base uh, behaving like that and and people trying to make more negativity out of an already negative situation. So I just hope that at this point we draw a line under it. It is what it is. The shirt is what it is. It'll be here for, for eight, nine months. It'll be the price that's been advertised. Let's get on with it, wear it, and hope we can recover something from the season. Yeah, absolutely. There's this idea that as much as 
we spend too much time on Twitter. There's this idea that Twitter is sort of more reflective of any group, any fan base as a whole. And like, I'm sure there's plenty of Wednesday fans that just don't have a Twitter account or don't get particularly involved in the, you know, in the interesting feuds between pro kit, anti kit, pro stripes, anti stripes, Carlos in, Carlos out. You know, they just want to go to the game on the weekend and wear the shirt. And that's great. That's probably healthier. They're the ones that are on the beach, metaphorically. Yeah, you know, I've I've actually known that there there's negative fans out there. That's hard to to escape. But I recently joined the the Wednesday Sing Facebook group, and I, I absolutely love the group, love what they do, I, and I love seeing all the different uh, opinions. And it, it's opened me to or, or introduced me to a whole different set of fans because I follow plenty on Twitter. But these are, I don't even know how many fans are on that uh, that Facebook page, but there are, there's a whole other uh, group of fans that I've been introduced to, and it's been interesting to see the the different perspectives. There, there are so many people. No, it's a good point. Yeah. The Wednesday Sing is a great group. It's a good, it's a good point. It's, uh, it's run by our friend uh, Dato Khan, who's a big, oh, uh, big uh, fan of Owls Americas and loves what we're doing and always champions the New York Owls and Owls Americas. So, it's, it's great that you found uh, them to be more positive. It's definitely something that I think Datto um, uh, tries to encourage. Um, so it's, it's a proper, honest opinion of the Wednesday thing. So go ahead and find out Facebook, guys, and join the group. And there's about 17,000 fans on that group, just to, uh, to put <laughs> yeah, those numbers into context. So they, they are one of the much, much bigger Wednesday, uh, Wednesday fan groups. So you know, having, having the positives outweigh the negatives requires all of us to kind of you know, spend more time in forums like that and, frankly, less time in the forum, open forums like Twitter. Yeah, I suppose that's what, that is where I was going with it. it was just I, I, I appreciate being a part of that group now. And uh, thanks, Patty, for bringing that to my attention. Can I, I was just, just going to say, just a little, this might be a bit controversial, but... Jack on Twitter um, said that if Carlos wasn't sacked by tomorrow, and this was on the 21st of October, he was going to, through PayPal, pay £5 to all that retweeted this. <laughs> there were 523 people that retweeted, which means Jack owes 2,615 quid to those people that retweeted. Just curious if he actually paid up. Yeah, I saw that tweet as well. I, I didn't retweet like, it, but I was very what interested. The fuck? <laughs> While you're on Facebook in search of more positivity from the Wednesday Sings group, you can also join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Owls Americas. You can also visit our website at owlsamericas.com, email us at owlsamericas at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter where we try not to be negative Nancys at Owls Americas. Our podcast intro and bumpers are by the wonderful Reverend and the Makers, the podcast itself is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbeam, and probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There is, of course, no wrong way to listen to the show. Just do what feels right. And wherever you choose to consume the Owls Americast, <clears throat> Sheffield Wednesday Opinion with an American accent, we ask that you rate and review the show, as it helps more Wednesdayites or even Sulfurites find our ramblings. James is on Twitter, at Manhattan Owl. James, any final thoughts about Barnsley? Um, only that I, uh, I I apologize profusely to anybody who thinks that I may have inferred that uh, that everybody in Barnsley is in the toilet. Um, and I um, I love the good people of Barnsley. Uh, as soon as we get past twelve thirty on uh, on Saturday afternoon, Evan is on Twitter at Ohio Owl. Evan, we will not ask you to make a prediction for the Wednesday Barnsley game, but how about a Louisville City playoff prediction? Oh, just dropped down. He's dead. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, I hate making predictions on on teams that I follow, but I, you know, I, I think Louisville City—they're the one seed. They uh, finished with the most points in the East by by eight points, and so I, I think that they're in good shape. Uh, happy we don't have to see FC Cincinnati. I can kind of relax, and hopefully we see New York Red Bull next round. Paul is on Twitter at the Owens Day. No, I'm, you're, you're wrong. You're wrong, Jeff. I'm just on Neil's beach. I'll be there all week. <laughs> Grab your beach towels. Come and join me. Patty is on Twitter at Patty A. Jones for talk about musical acts that wear skinny jeans and at New York Owls for Wednesday grousing. Patty, where are our meetups in the next week? Meetups in the next week are at New Orleans, New York, and in Buenos Aires, 
they are all meeting up for the match uh, matches over the next uh, few days. So actually, uh, it's NOLA on Saturday and New York on Saturday. But then all three of us are meeting up on the Tuesday for Millwall, which is a nice uh, 3.45 p.m. kickoff due to daylight savings in the UK in the Eastern. Uh, and then Buenos Aires also meeting up on the Halloween show too. Um, it is Halloween, and the New York Owls are having a Halloween party. And the theme controversially, is owls. And I say controversially because we, we agreed on this. We agreed on this a long time ago. And Patty you know, has realized he's the only person that's going to show up in a full owl costume. Yes. Yeah. People are backing out with a week to go, and I'm getting quite concerned with me in a massive owl costume, and everyone else is just going to turn up in their Wednesday shirts. Do, so, do you actually have a massive owl costume that you're going to wear? Yes. Oh, oh please. <laughs> I'm please. not in There'll be pictures. Don't worry about I'm, it. Yeah. I'm not, walk, I'm not walking around Manhattan with you, Paddy, wearing tights and a towel <laughs> mat. <laughs> it's actually not an owl costume. It is based on a horror movie, so it's a scary owl. Uh, and I can quite easily take it off to look quite normal. But the You're going Halloween... as a scary owl. You're just going dressed as the league table so far this season. <laughs> hey. <laughs> anyway, come and join us at New York Owls. We'll be at Niles on 52nd Street. And I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro, and we'll see you back here next week, assuming we don't run into any flying cars on fire.